think about um, lives that had just been radically changed. I thought about Andy Willard and the severity of his drug addiction. Um, I thought about Dan and Hilma Conklin, uh, whose marriage, for all intents and purposes, seemed like it was, you know, all but lost. And then I thought about Nate Meek. I don't know if I know of uh, a conversion that is as dramatic as Nate's. And uh, we were very, very involved in it. And um, Lisa uh, had a tremendous heart for Nate and was praying and was reaching out to him long before Nate started attending. And uh, I, uh, I just encourage you uh, to, uh, to listen carefully because there are wonderful truths that Nate is going to share. And I really believe it's going to make a difference in your hearts today. Let's hear Nate's story. If you told me, like Abraham, he was being obedient to kill his son, I had to say that. That was my moment with God. And so I did say that, and I did follow through with it. And only because of that did I get through this. Growing up, my uh, parents divorced before I was uh, three, I would say between two and three. And I was one of three kids at the time. I knew they loved me, but I, and we would have fun. We would go do stuff together. They were both present, but, uh, you know, my dad was pretty absent for things that um, I wanted him to be at. Mostly emotionally, I would say, because of the relationship he had with his father Um, and the relationship my uncles on my father's side and all the men on that side, I I remember feeling very... um, pushed off by my family members. When I was like five, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to grow up and be a beautician. That's what I used to call it. That's what I wanted to do. So I remember my family picking on me about that at like age five or six, because I just liked doing that, you know? So I was very aware that I didn't fit in with, you know, standards or stereotypes, or I wasn't, you know, the status quo for my family. So I was definitely pushed off to the side. Um, middle school was really the beginning when I really, really noticed that the other guys saw something different about me, and I felt alienated all the time. It didn't feel like pain as a kid. It was just my reality. Um, it just, that alienation just pushed and escalated those feelings down even further. So by the time I got to high school, I had had a number of relationships that were just secret relationships, um, not secret dating relationships either. They were very inappropriate relationships. I just had a real problem connecting with people due to how much broken relationship I had been exampled and how much broken relationship I had lived out. By the time I got to college, I was full, I fully acknowledged that I was a homosexual. I was very feminine side. That was, I was very feminine in my uh, identity. And it just began as going to clubs and drinking and having fun. But the way I would fill the void in my heart was by basically having sex um, with other men. When I couldn't find actual person to be with, it would be a 12 hour day of pornography. And that became an addiction. Then I transitioned colleges and I went from Grand Rapids to Chicago 
and the Chicago is a lot different than Grand Rapids and it has an enormous outlet for people of the LGBTQT community and they uh, really are very accepting and very nice down there. It was kind of a thing where I was celebrated for that and I didn't have that from anywhere else so the pain was being acknowledged but that's all it was. Um, but even though that's the case, I would still get people driving by me on the streets yelling, fag, um, I hate you, out the window. I'm in college, I have a scholarship for vocal music performance and composition, and I'm at uh, one of the best universities uh, in the country for that, uh, DePaul University has a conservatory of music. Uh, and I was so proud to be there. But then uh, I couldn't support myself through my job, so I had to work more. And because of that, I lost my scholarship. I wasn't able to be there to fulfill my agreement um, as a uh, musician for the university. And I lost a, a big enough portion that I had to drop out of school. I had friends that offered me a place to stay, but there was another option out there. And this person actually sold drugs. Um, I was living actually just in his closet, um, but I didn't work. I wasn't going to school. Um, I started doing harder and harder drugs. I also began a new relationship. I really thought I was gonna marry this person, be with them forever. I came home for Christmas. I had just had this feeling that I really, really need to come home and really need to be here. I came home and actually uh, Pastor Lee from Radio Church gave this message that was about palm trees and that was the first time something had come alive in me. And when I went home after having visited on Christmas, uh, visiting my mother on Christmas, I went home to Chicago my boyfriend met me at the train station, and the whole way there, I just knew, I knew in my heart that God was telling me that homosexuality was not for me, and I needed to break off that relationship, and I did that night, and there was nobody around, and I remember sitting and so frustrated that I have no phone, I have no money, I hardly have any food, there's nobody I know I can reach. I'm alone in this apartment, and I just get on my knees and I'm like, God, what do you want from me? I'm just like feeling just so frustrated. I gave up my boyfriend, I gave up this, and I don't even know what you want. And it was like flash, the room, the room like, I wasn't in the room anymore, I was somewhere else. I saw God's hands like this, and I saw myself in the very center of them, uh, just curled up. And I, that, that was the first thing God had ever spoke to me that where I, I heard and knew what he was saying, just his hands holding me like this. It was like this deep sense of, I've got you. From there, I began to kind of transition over to the things of God, but I wasn't really attending church. I wasn't really absorbing information about God. I was reading the Bible, actually, in my closet. <laughs> I would close the door in my uh, 
because I lived in the closet. I would close the closet door and everyone would be out in the other room partying and I would be reading the Bible. That began to change and then finally I, my roommate kicked me out. I had no job, I had no money, I had nothing. The next morning my mom had sent someone to pick me up and they took only what I could of my things and they um, brought me home. I began to just attend Restore Church and I wasn't involved. I just began to attend and I just was at the altar every single service, every single service. There were key people in my life who didn't push me away because of what I had been through. They actually embraced me for where I was and just loved on me. And um, that was actually Pastor John, uh, Pastor Jared, um, a bunch of the other interns at the time was actually Corey, Pastor Corey and Corbin. And it was really those relationships that started to heal that relational side of me. The process of going from all the hurts in my past to walking through healing has really, I guess you could just call it an unraveling. It's like a ball of yarn, but instead of being ready to go, it's like just totally messed up. But it's like your heart is that ball of yarn. Everything just started to unravel. It's like I didn't need to understand myself. I just needed to understand God. God never said to me ever once, Nate, don't be gay. He said, Nate, I love you. I have something better for you. And as I began to discover for myself who he was, I began to naturally change. And I was not trying to change. It was purely my desire. I, nobody forced me through it. I found God. Well, God found me, however you want to look at it. I encountered God indefinitely. And because I encountered him, to the core of my being, I encountered him. I could never, I knew everything else was false. When I started doing that, um, I was just going about my life and I met a beautiful young woman at my job. There was just something different about her. I just had this feeling like I need to get to know her a little bit more and be around her. I just knew, I, there was no question in my mind. It was like we were cut from the same cloth and I could search the whole world and I would never find what I found in her anywhere else. When I'm around this person, when I'm around Tiana, I know I'm gonna make it to the end of my race with her. And I know that I'm going to have everything I need in her. This November, we will be married five years and we'll have our third kid in November. And yeah, all the choices that I've made have not been based on being the opposite of what I ever once was. Every choice I made was right down the middle choosing Jesus every time. I don't get up there and sing songs because I have a talent for singing. I get up there and worship God because that's how I got through the battles myself. When he calls us away from our sin, he doesn't say stop being this way. He may say stop doing that, but louder than he says, I don't want you to do that, he says, why don't you just get close to me so I can heal you? And I think that should change the way we look at other people. Um, it should change the way that we look at people struggling with homosexuality because maybe they don't need to know 
what they're doing wrong more than they need to know that they have a way that they can find healing for what they need healing. And when you encounter God, it's total healing. Amen. Wow, what a story. Um, I'm going to look at three portions of Scripture this morning. The first is going to be found in John's Gospel, John 15. When I hear Nate's story, I think about Nate's story, um, for me, it's all about identity. Um, it's, it's all about identity. It's about what's, what's false, what's real. Um, it's about how false gets exposed, how real identity is found. Um, and we're going to see, and you've already heard, that Nate's story is about how God can restore someone's identity. John 15, verse 5, says, Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When I look at Nate's life, I think about how freedom without direction really doesn't help anyone. And isn't it amazing, especially when you're younger, you just want all the freedom that you can possibly get. And as we've looked at, you know, Andy's story and as we've looked at Nate's story today, you know, freedom like that without any direction, without any structure, just kind of no holds barred, getting to do whatever you want to, that never helped anybody. Never helped anyone. And in Nate's instance, his parents divorce before he's three. Abuse begins to happen before he's five. He's got a poor relationship with his dad. He feels alienated by his male peers. And like anyone, Nate starts trying to fill the void that's in his life. And we all do it. Wherever we're hurting the most and wherever we're lacking, we, we try to fill the void in our life. And Nate longed for healthy relationships, but being mocked made him withdraw, not reach out. And I loved what he, what he said, and I can't remember whether it was shown in the clip or whether it was in all the footage that I watched on Nate's testimony. But Nate said that, uh, I think he did say it, he said, I didn't realize I was in pain, it was just my reality. And so many times we think that we can go up to people and say, you must be hurting so bad. And it's probably confusing for them. What do you, what do you mean hurting? You know, I, this is my life. This is my life. And Nate filled the void in his heart through relationships with men. And, and in footage that I watched, Nate had said that um, people became like a substance to abuse. People became like a substance to abuse. And we're, we're, we're very, very selfish in our addictions, whether they're chemical or whether they're, they're you know, sexual. We're very, very selfish in our addictions. This is what I need. This, I need this from you. I need you to provide this for me. I need you to make me feel and it's amazing how misled we are by the way that we feel. And when people weren't enough, Nate would spend as long as 12 hours looking at pornography. 
And then one sermon finally broke through Nate's heart, Pastor Lee preaching on palm trees. I remember that message. I remember it well. And at his lowest point, Nate cries out to God, and God communicates to Nate, I got you. I got you. I don't know how many times we need to hear that. Long after we've been walking with the Lord, I I got you. I got this. I got this. And we are so quick to say, God, where are you? I think in those moments, God's saying, where are you? I didn't leave. Where are you? I don't think God's hard to find. I think we're hard to find sometimes. Godly transition begins. People began to notice. And Nate likens his conversion to a ball of yarn that is starting to unravel. And I love what Nate said, and I want to go to Isaiah chapter 6. That statement that Nate made, it just, it kept eating away and eating away at me that God never told Nate to stop being gay. You know, God never told me to stop sleeping around or stop using drugs or stop getting drunk. God never told me that. And I want to sh- show you that that is consistent with God's character. And I couldn't think of a better portion of Scripture than Isaiah chapter 6. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, and I don't know if you're familiar with who King Uzziah was, but King Uzziah was the king that assumed the role of a priest. And there were three anointings in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. I think David was the only one that functioned in all three and, dare I say, got away with it. King Uzziah brought incense into the tabernacle and he was offering incense like a priest. And the priest came in and they confronted him and they said, King Uzziah, what are you doing? This is not for you to do. And he got angry and immediately leprosy broke out. And they whisked him away, and he ended up living isolated from everybody else. His son stepped in in his place, and he ended up dying a leper. So Uzziah will be forever known as the prideful king. So we could say in the year that pride died, that King Uzziah um, died. Isaiah says that I saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died or the year that pride died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, verse 5, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Do you see anywhere in that portion of scripture where God told Isaiah that he was a filthy man? Do you see anywhere in that portion of scripture where God told Isaiah that he had filthy lips, that he was living in the midst of a sinful and a godless people? You're not going to find that anywhere there. God never comes and tells us, you're a sinner. 
God doesn't do that. God confronts us in our sin, not with our sin. God doesn't reveal our sin and label us. He reveals the Savior and loves us. And we always think that we can be Holy Spirit Junior, as Joyce Myers calls it, and, and we can point out people's sin in their lives. Is that what God did to you? Is that what he did to you? Is that what he told you? And is that what brought you to your knees and caused you to turn to Christ and receive Jesus in your heart? Is that what did it? God confronting you and saying, you are a wretched sinner. I cannot believe how sinful you are. Your sin disgusts me. It repels me. God never says that. God never says that. God's presence is so powerful that he doesn't have to reveal our sin to us. He reveals himself to us, and in his presence, we are made aware of how sinful we are. And just like Isaiah, we say, woe, woe be it unto me, for I am a a, a sinful man. I live in the midst of a sinful people. My lips are filthy. I am filthy. We become aware of our sinfulness in his presence. God doesn't have to confront us with our sin. We are aware of our sin. And then I guess the wrestling matches on then in that moment in God's presence. We, we decide whether we feel like we're unworthy or, or whether God really, really loves us or whether he could really, really change us. Well, that's great that he did that for Nate Meek, but, but what about me? And you, you don't know everything that I've done and I've, I've not been a good guy and, I, and the excuses go on. But the reality is, is that in God's presence, your sin was exposed. And you were made aware of your sin. And now having your sin exposed and now being aware of your sin, what do you, what do, you do with it? In that moment, there should be a light bulb that goes on that says, if God could make me aware of my sinfulness, then he must be able to cleanse me of my sinfulness. What would be the sense in a loving God revealing my sin and not doing anything about it? You know, I just want you to be aware of your sin. I have no intention of cleansing you or healing you or restoring your life. I just want you to see how icky and how awful you really are. And I have no intention of helping you. No, I think he makes us aware of it so that we would know through him, he's got so much better. Got such a, such a, a life that we could never know apart from him and we can only know because of him. He offers us so much more, so much more, so much more. So why is it that apart from God, we can do nothing because apart from God, we don't know who we are. You do not know who you are. You're going to tell me that you're going to discover who you are and you're never going to come to know the one who created you, who fashioned and formed you, that you could somehow discover who you are apart from him. I'm sure Nate thought he knew who he was too. With all his incredible musical giftings, thought he was convinced that he was gay and that drug use was fine and that he had this incredible music scholarship in Chicago 
to Paul. I don't believe that we can really do anything of lasting value until we, we know who we are and we do not know. I'm going to make the statement and I know that many will agree, but I'm sure there are some that don't agree, but you do not know who you are until you know Jesus. I'm going to tell you I did not know who I was. I was looking for my, for my identity. Maybe in that next relationship or in, in, that, in, that, in that next weekend party or I did not know who I was. And so I needed things to fill me. I had to have things to fill me up. And you need things to fill you when you don't know who you are. I'm going to show you a scripture that has just exploded for me. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I don't know if it's worded like this in every version, but I believe the New Living words it the best. I'm going to be reading out of there. 1 Peter 2. Look at verse 10. says, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. My past used to preach this, and I don't know if I ever really got it until I had been walking with Jesus for quite some time, but your identity, who you really, really are, is found in Jesus Christ. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. And in order for you to know who you really, really are, you have to know Jesus. Pastor John, what are you telling me? Are you telling me that if I become a Christian, I'll discover who I really, really am, that I don't know who I really, really am right now? I'm, uh, I'm going to tell you that's exactly what I'm saying. You do not know who you really are until you know the one who created you, who fashioned and formed you in your mother's womb. You do not know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, then you don't know why you were born. You don't know the purpose for your existence. You don't know any of that. Why do you think so many are living in despair? So many are struggling with deep, dark depression. So many. I mean, they are medicating children these days because I think... We're living in a day and an age when our, we're in an identity crisis, so much so that there are young people that don't, don't know from one day to the next whether they're male or female. And they can just choose whatever they want based on how they feel that day. And the leading non-Christian specialists in those fields tell them, you know, just let them, just roll with it. If they want to be a boy that day, they can be a boy. If they want to be a girl that day, they can be a girl. Why? Because they have no identity. They don't, they don't know who they are. Doggone it, get your kids to church. Are you crazy? Get your grandkids to church. Are you mad? Get them to church. Because in God's presence, God will slowly begin to reveal their identity and, and who they are. Man, I don't worry about my kids rebelling from me. I worry about them rebelling from God. It's not me that they have to answer to for all eternity. It's God. And if they know God, then they'll know what it is they're supposed to do for God or because of God. Our identities are found in Jesus Christ. 
so much so that God could take somebody like Nate Meek, totally immersed in a homosexual love style or lifestyle, doing drugs and just lost, though gifted, though talented, still lost, didn't really know, know who he was. And he's searching to fill himself. Relationship after relationship, partying after partying. And God let him know, I got you. I got you. And all of those prayers that have been going up for Nate, one message begins to penetrate, and that one message, that seed gets in Nate, and it begins to kind of scramble him, begins to unravel him. So much so that God brought a wonderful woman into Nate's life, and now they've had their third child, a little male and Ruth, and what a wonderful thing that God's doing in his life. And if that was the end of the story, it would be incredible, but now God has called Nate away from us to Radiant Ludington, and he's going to be on staff full-time there as their worship leader, and I mean, he's probably wearing two, three hats, probably as many as Pastor Jerry can get him to wear there. Um, but God has wonderfully blessed Nate. God has called Nate. And how many of you know that, that Nate wasn't called to use his musical giftings for performance? He was meant to use them for God's presence. What about you? You frustrated that you don't know who you are? You frustrated that you really don't know why you exist? Your answers are found in Jesus Christ. You know what? And God's not going to point your sin out either. He's going to point his son out to you, not your sin out to you. And when you discover Jesus, you found the key. You found the beginning. And the ball of yarn can begin to unravel in your life too. And God can begin to make sense of your life too. Don't expect him to do it in a day or a week or a month because you didn't get there in a day, a week, or a month. But allow it just to unravel. I loved how Nate said he was at the altar all the time. Just every service, he was at the altar. And it's amazing, Nate, when I think about that, I think about how um, that was your mom. Um, where are you? That was your mom. Your mom was at the altar all the time, all the time, just bawling. Um, when her cancer diagnosis came, she's at the altar all the time. When your little brother died, she's at the altar all the time, all the time. Beverly was always at the altar. And it's amazing how you, that is how you discovered. I don't, I don't know much, but I know that I can, I can come into God's presence and I can seek God's face. I know that much. I know I can do that. I know I can do that. There are answers that you'll obtain in God's presence and nowhere else. There is identity that is found in God's presence and nowhere else. There is deliverance and restoration and healing that is found in God's presence and nowhere else. I can promise you it nowhere else. I want to be able to pray for you today because I don't think you share a testimony like Nate Meeks and not offer people an opportunity to surrender their life to Jesus Christ like Nate did, to cry out to Jesus like Nate did.